We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson are brothers and business partners of the top landscaping company, Nature's Experts. Nature's Experts is home to six companies that cater to all your outdoor needs. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan, simply visit us at www.naturesexperts.com. On the podcast, Jeff and Jonathan bring together other business owners and entrepreneurs to share with you how they developed a prosperous company and how you can too. You will gain insights and meaningful advice on creating the building blocks to success and longevity in the entrepreneurial realm. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. Jason, welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. We have one interesting, charismatic, dynamic professional with us right now named Jason, um, who lives in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area and is involved with venture capital, startups, blockchains, and has quite the life that he's lived so far. So I'm looking forward to getting into all of this with you and how, you know, particularly, you know, I like to figure out how we can take information that is unfamiliar sometimes and venture capitalists, startups, all those different things, you know, they're big words. They're at least big words for me, and I feel like we have a pretty big business. They're big words for me, and I really a lot of times you can't really understand how you can either use them or use them as a tool to get to, so you can use those particular things to help obviously grow your wealth. So thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So Jason, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you get started, actually? Because you're involved with so many different things right now. You know, where did you really start in your journey? Well, it's funny. I grew up. I grew up in Miami. Went to Jewish day schools my whole life, so I had financial literacy. But my grandparents on my mother's side were involved in real estate. They owned four hotels in South Beach: the Lowe's Hotel, Versace's Mansion, and two others. So I initially thought I was going to be a trust fund baby. They lost their money. Then my father was a lawyer, so I wanted to be a lawyer. Then he lost his money. Then he started a medical business. I thought I was going to be a medical business. So I was going to go to law school and work for my dad, but that was an opportunity. I went to Israel for two years. I went to Yeshiva University. I was going to major in marketing and sociology, go to law school. I went to two years in Israel. I went to a capitalist rabbi who said, don't go to law school, major in accounting, it'll be good for you. So I got back from myself, my junior year, switched majors to business and accounting, hated every minute of it because I hate numbers. I hate business. I, I hate accounting. But uh, I decided to go to rabbinical school because I'm a very spiritual guy. I love learning. And uh, when I was, I didn't want to take money from my parents. So I, my first company was in 1999, was the biggest IPO of the year. 
uh, shopping.com, got bought up by eBay. They offered me a full-time job. I turned them down to finish rabbinical school. I lost millions of dollars, millions of dollars, no regret. But the reason why I'd rather be a rabbi than a BC today is because I love Judaism. I love learning. I, I, I don't watch TV, don't read, watch movies. I read books, uh, spiritual and business. All I do is read. And, um, but when I was in rabbinical school, I had an affair with my boss's secretary. So I was like, I can't be, I can't be a rabbi. I'm going to run into trouble with the congregants. So I was like, you know what? I might as well use my personality and connections for business. So I got a job then. I went two years. I was rabbi in the Hamptons for two years. The first guy, I ran a singles program. 200 people would come out, all my friends, uh, to the Hamptons. And we'd party on the weekends. In the realm of spirituality, of course. Then I got, after that, I realized I can't be a rabbi. So I uh, made, I went to PwC and M&A. My client was J.P. Morgan Chase. I discovered a billion dollars was missing. So I got the CEOs around the world. I was in banking because I had a personality. So they wanted me to deal with the CEOs. Being a hot girl, we deal with all the, the, the big decision makers. So I got all the CEOs. Oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. The, nine, the controller comes up to me and goes, Jason, after this merger, we're a trillion-dollar company. A billion dollars is inconsequential. Write it the F off. I go, you're 100% right. I had to write off a billion dollars. Totally missing. I was like, this is ridiculous. So then after that, a family member stole my corporate credit card, charged $200,000 on it, and uh, I lost my job in banking because I, I had a choice to make. Either that person had a wife that didn't work and a kid in high school. Either I send him to jail and keep my job or declare bankruptcy and lose my job in finance. I declared bankruptcy, uh, lost my job in finance. Thank God I didn't go to jail. And <laughs> it was a corporate credit card and uh, I couldn't get a job in finance. So I, my friend who was a, a hedge fund guy got me a job in a nightclub. So for two years, I worked as a bar back in the hottest club in New York city. So I remember once I'm sweeping out outside when the club was over, a guy comes up to me, he goes, Jason, you look like a very smart guy. I don't know how you got into this situation. Here's 20 bucks. You'll bounce back. I go, thank you very much, sir. So then I worked for my alma mater as a secretary for a year. And then I got the opportunity to get into digital marketing. So I, I worked for digital marketing for 15 years. Loved it, but I hated the quotas because if I did 100000 a month, they wanted 200000 If I did two hundred, they wanted 300000 And I realized I wasn't become uber wealthy working for other people. If I'm going to make do sales and do these deals, I have to have ownership. So I actually, I left marketing, moved to Florida, opened up an office in marketing, worked for three different marketing companies. And then after that, I worked for the Bloomberg campaign. Uh, and then when he shut down, I didn't know what to do. My friend who's a blockchain expert said, Jason, you have the best network I know. You're the most charismatic person I know. Here's two blockchain clients, see what you could do. So I went from two clients uh, six years ago to now to over 50. And I have two funds, Finkelstein Capital, which is general thesis, real estate, healthcare, and hyper venture, uh, hyperscale ventures, which my partner, a VC expert, blockchain expert in in uh, in Australia, and he we focus on blockchain, crypto, Web3 deals. So I have two different venture funds. So, wow, that is a lot. So on top of that, I, I, deal, I deal with mental illness, and two divorces that left me bankrupt as well. So I had to bounce back from mental illness and two divorces. So perseverance is definitely one of your major qualities. No question about it. Optimism, 
perseverance. I'm, I, I, was, I was doing VC before. I, I would help people out because I like people. I generally want people to do well. I make connections. I help businesses grow. And my friends, like do that, monetize that. That's how my friend who I got a job in the company will work to my biggest client, Layer 1X. He's the chief marketing officer. He's the one that got me into the realm of considering getting into VC startup advisor. Wow, where to start? Where to start? I mean, what a what a what a life that you've lived. So I think let's start first. So in venture capitalism, you have two funds. Yes. What are funds? Like, what is venture? Like, venture capitalism to me is buying and selling businesses. No, buying businesses, building them up, and then selling them. So what I do is I like seed and pre-seed. I go up to Series A, Series B as well. But basically. Most venture capitalists will invest in a company, take a large percentage, and disappear. I don't do that. I get involved in pre-seed seed when they're either just MVP or they just started or pre-revenue. I see what their needs are. I assess it, help them with go-to-market strategy, either invest in the company, raise funds for the company, help with business development, help with marketing, and help them sell the company. So I go from MVP, which is pre-product all the way to sale of the company through investment, marketing, and business development. So specifically, so do you have the money? After my divorce 13 years ago, she took everything from me. I left me penniless. I moved into my parents' house, saved up all my money, and started my venture fund that way. She took my 401k, my personal savings, everything. My car, lost everything. have Have you rebuilt that? that money up then? Or are you kind of working with different partners as far as that? Goes? I'm working with partners, but I'm, my goal is to be a billionaire within two to five years. And that's going to happen. Two to five years. So that means you must have some major things in the works already. I have major things in the works. Major things in the works. So as far as venture cap, so I guess if you would, what are some of the things that you're working on currently right now that you feel like that are major opportunities? Uh, my biggest client which I can't go too much details because they said not to plug it on the podcast, even though I said I would, is this company called Layer 1X. Basically, what blockchain is, is you have Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, and you need a bridge to communicate between the different uh, exchanges. That's where most of the fraud happens. Layer 1X eliminates the need for a bridge, facilitates the speed of the transaction and lets you do it in smaller amounts. So it's changing the way we operate in blockchain. That's one company which is going to explode. They're looking to raise money right now. I'm actually a paid part of the team as well. My biggest client. Okay. And how is that something that actually makes money or you see that's going to make money? Because uh, they're going to make money on every transaction. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you're hoping it's one of the it, it turns in to be one of the mainstream if, if they If they have the technology, which they claim they do, um, I, they, it's going to be a trillion-dollar evaluation because it eliminates the need for the bridge where the fraud happens with blockchain. It facilitates the speed, and you can do uh, transactions with smaller amounts of money. So it really is a cutting-edge technology. I have another company which does um, people that try to hide assets they find crypto assets and blockchain work with governments. Another one, which is authenticated and verifies photos and videos using utilizing blockchain. I have amazing companies, amazing companies. Is, is it something where people, you're a venture capitalist. So is it something that people can come to you with their ideas specifically? Or are you more interested in trying to find the right people directly yourself? 
Well, it's funny. I used to have to go out and get clients. Now I get like in my inbox on LinkedIn or emails, three de- pitches a day. My, my mentor told me, he goes, Jason, if you want to be successful, you have to turn down 90% of the deals. I think that I can make any company successful. A great idea without the right venture capitalist will go nowhere. A decent idea with the right venture capitalist will be a success. So I'm optimistic and I know my abilities with my connections. So my biggest challenge right now is to weed out and focus on the good deals and not take every single deal that comes my way. Of course. I mean, that's, I think that's, that's part of business in general. There's only so much time and so much effort. Yes. My so mentor, is- after I hit my 50th client, my mentor pulled me aside and said, Jason, I see you taking on all these clients. He goes, do you have the wherewithal? I go, I don't sleep. I sleep three hours a night. I could do it. He goes, I don't sleep either because don't take on so many clients, you know? So my partner, Maz, who's a web three expert, I run the decks. I do the initial meeting, the intake. I send the decks to him. He green lights or passes on deals. He, he lets me know which ones we should take on. So I trust his judgment. He's managing partner of hyperscale ventures. Interesting. Okay. So that is the venture capital side uh, of what you do. So the thing is, venture capitalism is investing. It's not just investing. It's, it's, it's go-to-market strategy. It's marketing and business development. A lot of VCs uh, do only investing. I do the whole nine yards from MVP all the way to sales. So I do business development, marketing. I have 15 years of marketing. I have great connections with business development. I, I'm good at raising money. I enjoy the business development side, making the deals. That's what I really enjoy, getting he- heavily involved. But um, the reason why I'm successful is because a lot of VCs will charge an upfront fee, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars just to set up meetings. I think that's ridiculous to charge a startup client upfront fees. I work on the back end. If I don't succeed, they pay nothing. So I only work on success fees. But I take equity, I take percentage of the cap raise, I take a percentage of the business development, and a success fee, a fee, a position in the company, either part time or full time for business development and marketing with the salary. So I get, I do pretty well. You're in for the long play. hundred percent. My first client, I haven't made a dime off of him. Four years, four years. So does that roll into mergers and acquisitions? Do you like to kind of merge and uh, acquire companies that then roll into your venture? Well, you, you, need, you need to hit a certain revenue threshold in order, but I've been contacted by Harris Computers. I have connection there, which is the biggest, M&A company in the world located in Canada. They've contacted me about 10 of my companies. They're in touch with them for M&A. So I'm involved in M&A as well. Interesting. So that's, and your mergers and acquisitions are just through connections yes. that you particularly have. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then as, start, as far as startup advisory, is that just out of passion? I'm hypomanic. If you want to understand me, what hypomania is, you have to read the book by John Gardner, The Hypomanic Edge. My ex-wife gave it to me. She goes, I, it was like a burden lifted off my shoulder. I'm like, I finally, I always been that extensive crazy guy with high energy, but I finally right. understood what I was going through. She goes, I go, thank you. I understand myself now. She goes, did you read the first chapter? 90% of hypomanic people get divorced. Oh, that's not going to be us. Three weeks later, she divorced me. So, yep, hyperman- I'm going through two divorces. Both left me bankrupt. So I don't know if I'm going to get married again, but uh, we'll see. I'm optimistic. It's all about finding the right person. I think that. No doubt. Well, she was the right person. There's no question. I love her. She's a great person. Uh, I don't blame her. Mental illness to me was taboo in the Jewish community. It wasn't accepted. And I resisted it because 
does anyone want to admit they're crazy or have a disease? So when she tried to get me, she stuck by me for two years, trying to get me to go to therapy and work on myself. And I rejected her every tooth and nail. And I finally woke up and she left me. And by that time, it was too late. I caused too much damage. So I blamed myself. But what happened was she gave me Adderall, giving me, she was a psychologist, giving Adderall to a hypomanic person is like giving cocaine to a crack addict. It made me full-blown manic, full-blown manic. So that's what set me off. Yeah. And so on the startup advisory side, is, is that where you feel like, is that where it starts where you're just constantly trying to connect with people or is it something that, that actively you're really trying to do? That's my favorite part. Like I'm a very active VC. I'm an advisor. I play a daily role. My founders have access to me 24-7. They set up a call. I always take the call with founders. And if they need help with anything they need, I make the connections for them, whether it's marketing, business development, or go to market. Like my first client, everyone told me not to take him on because it was just an MVP, which is a product development, not even a product yet. He had no go-to-market strategy. He had nothing. My best friend who's a master of the universe, a hedge fund guy said, there's nothing here. He has no go-to-market strategy. Don't do it. I'm like, I'm telling you, this company is going to be great. And this company will be great. Four years later. So the last part is you are also an investor. So do you, you only invest in businesses or do you invest in real estate? Do like what else? I'm closing a $30 million real estate deal next month. I also invest in healthcare companies and funds. So how do you keep track of all of this? This is a lot to keep track of. I'm, I, I'm trying to keep track of it just from this call right now. So I don't know how well, you keep as, track of all of this. As, my, as the best businesses I got was from a client. I have a photographic memory. I'm a very smart guy. He goes, Jason, your brain operates a thousand times faster than most people. He goes, you have to really to the client where they're at, not where you're at. If you send an email that day, because someone sends me an email, I respond right away. I expect responses right away. I work very fast. He goes, you have to relate to people where they're at. It's a passion. I love what I do. I create jobs. I give charity. I give 20% of my money pre-tax to charity. I get people jobs. I help businesses grow. I love what I do. Like I said, I have my legend, Iggy Finale, who's now a client. He was president of shopping.com, that eBay company that was bought by eBay. And I said, you know, why aren't you a VC? He's a five-time exit. He has another business right now. He goes, I like focusing on one business, working it and selling it. I go, I'm hypomanic. I need, I'm right now I'm reading 30 books at the same time. You know, I need 50 businesses to work on. I can't work on one business. I can't. I need to be involved in many different things. Well, I definitely respect that. So our business that we're in, we have three landscaping companies, a tree company, a pest control company, and um, an interior plant maintenance and holiday decorating and lighting company. We have four different offices, we'll service the Tri-County area. And uh, we specifically are after you know continuing to buy other businesses strategically to grow our market share. Um, Because we're obviously at the point now where we can specifically, we do currently $25 million in sales. So in gross volume. And at the point we're at now, if you buy businesses that are smaller than ours, you know, that are in the three to $5 million range, they can, um, you can buy them into three times multiple. And then obviously, if you convert them into our business currently right now, is a higher multiple you know, for the, based upon the size of our business and the infrastructure that we've built. So what would be advice that you give 
to someone in my position specifically to continue to grow and be able to help more people and increase, you know, net worth and increase our team's net worth? Well, if you don't feel comfortable spending your own money with it, I would recommend um, a cap raise where you have the sufficient amount of money to buy these businesses and incorporate it into your into your business and do business development, not necessarily buying businesses, but partnering with other businesses that you could do a rev share to increase the value of your company and generate more revenue. It doesn't necessarily have to be buying businesses, but you could do a partnership agreement with other businesses that exist and save your capital as well. So either raise capital or business development partnership. Hmm. So uh, that's pretty interesting, I actually say. So I'm going to break that down for some people that maybe don't understand that that terminology of what he's saying. What Jason is explaining is that you can go out and someone who's in business development and say that, you know, we are looking to sell in five years or 10 years, hypothetically, and we want to partner up in your business with ours and your business will still be independent from our business but we want to share our revenue and our profits as one portfolio so that at you know a certain time of exit we will have strategic increased volume in sales and increased volume in profit and ultimately your business i am going to give you an evaluation of right now and then it's going to have a different evaluation in the 5 or 10 year span when you actually might sell correct exactly exactly so um You know, for whatever reason, and so this is probably an old school way of thinking, you know, I don't really want a partner. I have me and my brother do this together and we own all of our properties together and we own all these businesses together and uh, we own all the stress and the aggravation and everything associated with having 200 plus employees. But, you know, I'm looking to increase our wealth and I'm interested in increasing our team's wealth. And I guess maybe I haven't seen why the path would be better in putting it possibly in someone else's hands by having a partner or doing a cap raise. Uh, the revenue share is an interesting way to exit, I would say, if you know there's a short-term exit plan, um, which we're not ready to exit by any means. But I could definitely see how a revenue sharing, if you're gonna leave, if you're gonna strategically sell your business in three years. You could partner up with five companies, but like, listen, we're all going to sell in three years and the business size is going to double because it's going to go from our 25 million. We're going to add 25 million and the value is going to be X and then it's going to be Y whenever in three years. I mean, that definitely does make sense um, in that capacity because obviously we could charge a fee for obviously what we're doing exactly. uh, on it. Well, it's funny. I just finished a book, How to Get well, How to Get Rich by the founder of Maxim. Ownership is key. You don't want to give up ownership of your company. So I understand the old school mentality of not wanting to um, necessarily bring on a partner where you give up a percentage of ownership. Totally understand that. Ownership is key. But I'll be honest with you, I'm fully in on blockchain and Web3 right now. I would diversify some of the profits into Web3 companies. You know, invest there. You want to increase your wealth. I think the SEC's lawsuit to try to regulate blockchain is garbage. I think you have big banks now all getting into blockchain and Web3 funds. You have funds being created by by big companies. Blockchain and Web3 and crypto is going to change the way we do business, banking, everything about the world. I would, I'm heavily invested in blockchain and Web3. I'm very bullish on it. Very bullish on it. 
So as it relates, so the thing is that I personally am not really familiar with that kind of funding and uh, not that it's not extremely like a, a hot market that I definitely think that blockchain specifically will actually become the standard. No doubt. At some point, as long as hopefully it doesn't get into the wrong hands and it's the, the standards are still kept extremely where it's supposed to be, it's a bulletproof way of making sure that everyone has one digital signal, pretty much. So I definitely think that that is definitely a positive way of technology helping what's currently going on because everyone has so many digital footprints. It's like, well, how do you really know who is who and who is what? You have to be in the game. You have to be in the game. If you want to meet a partner with my, you want a meeting with my partner, Maz Amon, the blockchain Web3 expert, I'd be happy to set that up for you. He'll explain the details. I'm I'm always interested in meeting new people and learning new things and, and by not wanting a partner doesn't mean that we're not interested in investing and doing other things. It's just, you know, our business specifically, we bought seven different businesses together, me and my brother. And he purchased seven businesses before that and has bought and sold them before that. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you get to a certain point in life. And is it better to follow a plan for us strategically what we've already done and just do exactly what we've already done? And you get exactly what you've already got, hypothetically, right? And that would be a very successful plan. But then I've definitely realized as I've gotten older, you know, what is the best way to get to wealth and to be able to do exactly what you want to do uh, and doing more of that specifically? And I get a lot of pleasure out of working in this business, on this business, people in this industry. And, um, you know, I have a lot of pride in the fact that we really are not corporate, like we are sophisticated business owners, but we are sensitive and straightforward to what it really takes to actually run and manage a business like this and what people are worth. And I feel like there is a major opportunity in our sector that there are so many big businesses that are buying companies that are doing such a bad job at it that for us to eventually get to have $100 million in annual sales is extremely it's straightforward. You know, not yeah. five years. Well, what I recommend is in the next year, couple of years, you'll see a lot of distressed assets because the economy is a sham right now. I mean, people are going to start with the student loans back in play and the interest rates and the, the economy. People are going to start defaulting on homes. People are going to start defaulting on people can't afford it. So you're going to be able to buy businesses on the cheap. So I would highly recommend that you continue to look for the value in companies that are distressed and continue to buy companies because you'll get a good deal on them in the next couple of years. That's our plan. You know, we have a, yeah. we have a strategic plan right now where we're wanting to uh, alternate buying real estate with purchasing new businesses and the real estate for those businesses. Um, well, real estate's great because you get the tax write-off. It's amazing. You don't pay taxes on it, real estate. Appreciate it, it, it. It's amazing. It, it is absolutely amazing. And it's one of the things that we definitely do to help reduce our taxes. Um, but it also allows us to be able to strategically kind of have an on-off button of, we're going to be purchasing businesses this year. We're going to take a break to kind of blend it all together and recalibrate and work on strategic growth and getting rid of the wrong customers and getting more of the right customers. Right. And then the next year, 
We're going to be going after it again. We're going to find the right strategic business. And you can start building up people within your organization, building up um, strategic relationships and kind of figure out where the next market shift is going to be. That's going to be- benefit us. You know, Florida is an amazing area too. Love where, Florida. Oh my God. If You know, you can have a good business anywhere, but specifically in, in Florida, um, you know, there's so many great markets that are all so close together. It just, it's, it's such a luxury that each one of them is, is almost limitless in how big you can grow them. You know, when you have Orlando and Jacksonville and Tampa uh, and Clearwater and some of these areas are so close together also too, that they're big cities, but they're little, but they're like right next to each other. Well, like I said, ask me off, off podcast, my tax plan. <laughs> it's fascinating. I haven't paid taxes in 13 years. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't if you do it legally. So it's legally, it's legally, but that's something I want to discuss in public. So listen, I think that every every good business owner is should be equally concerned about how they can keep the most amount of money, but how they can reduce their taxes. And certainly if you can spend double the amount that you would have to pay in taxes on an asset. It's certainly more more advantageous. I take that savings and invest it in companies. So it it really, it's a a double win for me. It's a double win. Yeah. Some, I, I think some people don't realize that, you know, properties and buying properties can be great ways to use deductions, but they might, depending if you're in a service business or not, in a service business, you potentially can get a lot more bang for your buck in purchasing a business than you can in a real estate asset as far as tax depreciation. But obviously, it's you know extremely active to be able to protect your asset versus a piece of real estate where it is a little bit more insulated than an actual business uh, as far as trying to you know have its increased value and what kind of return and what kind of effort that's involved. Well, it's funny, my billionaire friend, who's also a billionaire blockchain investor, he had to move to Puerto Rico to avoid taxes. So I don't want to move to Puerto Rico. So I had to come up with a different system. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you recommend to people who have a business that are looking to grow that want to eventually be acquired or, um, you know, they, well, let's start with that first. Someone who's wanting to be acquired, what do you recommend? You need sales you need to invest in sales and marketing i one of my magic number i guess then uh where are they starting from say someone starting from you know one to three million dollars well that's a great start i mean with one to three million dollars you could get investment you could do debt equity there's a lot you could do but uh, but you need to do is invest in the sales force invest i just set up my one of my companies with uh, a startup a marketing company and sales company that guarantees $1 million pre-revenue to $1 million in 12 months. And if they don't achieve that goal, they, uh, they return the money. So it's a no risk back to you. Either they double your ARR, either from zero to 1 million or from 1 million. To, it's about finding the right companies that can help you out with sales and marketing. That's the only way to do it. Old school, roll up your sleeves, hire great salespeople and get the right marketing company. That's what you need to do. You need to increase sales. So for increasing sales, for mergers and acquisitions particularly, that's usually a little bit higher of a class um, 
you know, acquisition because it's really not buying and selling businesses. It's it's blending them together to be able to have a. I understand, but for instance, Harris Computers, one one of my M and A partners, they'll invest in a company. They'll help with business development. They'll keep the CEO in place. Let him run the business and be totally hands off. They'll get involved at one million to two million ARR. They'll buy the business at one million ARR, two million ARR, and let the business run as if they're not even acquired. So hmm. finding the right M and A structure, finding the right partner for M and A is huge. Who do you go to with the percentage, the right market value? You know these considerations are very important. You know you don't want to do it. You want to do it at the right time where you can maximize the value of your company. You know, you want to do it at the right revenue stream where you can maximize the value of your company. And if you're somebody who doesn't want to retire, you want the partner who's going to invest in you, invest in all the other businesses that he acquired to do business development for you and let you stay on board and let you run business because you know how to run it better than they do. That's what you need. So is there a certain profit margin usually that's looked at for mergers and acquisitions versus size then? Yes. It's typically speaking... um, what I've seen with my startups, they want to see one to two million ARR, which is not a lot of money. That's just sales, correct? Or is that annual recurring revenue? Got it. And then how does that relate to what um, people are looking for as far as profits? Like, is profits considered different? Profit is considered different, but you can't even get into the ball game unless you're making revenue recurring revenue where you could support your company outside of investment with $1 million to $2 million in recurring revenue. So really it starts with revenue is the, is Correct. the first uh, Correct. The first base to get you don't off. Even, you don't even get off the ground if you don't have the recurring revenue. So that is first, is recurring revenue. And um, you know, do you recommend that you know, every company looks at acquiring other companies or should that always be a strategy for someone to actually figure out, make sure that they're in a business that can be acquired? How do you feel about that? I think every business is different. You know, in your case, you don't want partners. So the best way for you to do it is to acquire businesses and you have enough income with your seven businesses where you could afford to, especially in the market conditions today, where you'll be able to get great deals on market. It doesn't make sense for you to take on partners. For other companies, which are not in your position, that need to grow their revenue in order to be able to, to be acquired down the road, bring it on partners by ref share or you know, partnering with another company is the best way to double your size, triple your size without necessarily doing without necessarily, you know, buying a business and spending your own money that you don't have to do it. So there's a, there's a couple of ways to do it. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. So, listen, I think there has been a lot of really good information in this call today from venture capitalists to merger acquisitions to startups to investing to um, sales to where you need to get to be for mergers and acquisitions. I think this was a great conversation to really learn more about, you know, really thinking big and, you know, trying to, I think having to, having someone that you can go to in something like this, I think is a big deal also too. And having you on the show allows for other people to be able to connect with you if they're ready to really learn more about this, because I think finding the right person or even understanding that market is a bear in itself because it's like, you know, where do you start really? Well, what I highly recommend is, especially if you, if, if you don't want to buy business, if you don't want to partner with somebody else, you find a startup advisor, 
not necessarily a VC, but a startup advisor who has the connections in business development marketing for you that doesn't charge an upfront fee because upfront fees for a startup company or company not generating revenue is death. So you charge up somebody who's willing to take a percentage of the profits, a small percentage of the equity, who's willing to roll up the sleeves and be a startup advisor. Getting the right team in place to help you grow will be dividends for you doubling your revenue and selling your business down the road. So I would recommend either a VC or startup advisor who does back-end stuff, not upfront costs. That definitely makes sense to me. I mean, listen, if someone's really interested and involved and believe in what you're actually doing and think that you can make a lot of money and they can also too, you know, listen, I think in mergers and acquisitions, it's not a short-term game, it's a long-term game. So- I mean, you either like I believe, said, it, I never, you either I believe never what you're saying or you don't, at the, in all honesty. I believe in myself. I think I can take any business and make it successful. I only work on the back end. I never charge a front end, up front fee. If I'm not successful, you lose absolutely nothing, including the equity, including the rep share, everything. I only work if I'm successful. If you succeed, I succeed. If I don't succeed, you lose nothing. That's how I operate in my business. Honestly, sounds like the best way to me. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Jason, thank you for joining us today on the episode today. I think this was really great. I appreciate you coming and joining us today. Uh, and this was really an interesting conversation. If you could let everyone know how they could reach out to you um, and you know learn a little bit more about you and if you could possibly uh, help them anyway. Yeah, uh, on my bio, on my LinkedIn, Jason Finkelstein gives my bio recommendations from clients that I work with in terms of what I've done. And my email is jason at finkelsteincap.com. You can send me an email to reach out to me. I'll answer all emails. I'll set up a meeting. I always believe in meeting somebody for the first time. Even if I can't help, I'll give advice. I love connecting with people. I love helping people grow, even if I get nothing out of it, because I, that's why I'm a VC. I like people succeeding. When I found out when I was down and out, you know, you don't necessarily happy for other people with success, but the more successful you are, you want people to be successful with you. And there's nothing makes me happier getting somebody who's been out of a job for two years a job, helping a company grow and seeing them successful. I like helping people because I like people, not because I'm in it to make a profit. And that's the only way you can be successful. You have to read the tipping point and you have to love what you do and you have to love people. If you don't love people, you're not going to be in business. There's trust and honesty and integrity count for something. They really do. And I don't know if everyone actually realizes that sometimes that it's really, you know, it's something that it is hard to find. And I think the fact the way that you really are willing to wait um, to really earn that money, I think really is a big deal because I think most people really aren't. And they're not no. really willing to put the time in of what actually is necessary to get the result that they want. Totally agree. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. It was a great conversation and we look forward to catching up again soon. And we'll definitely have to get together since we're in the local area. Well, Jonathan, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to set up a meeting with my partner, Mass, so to educate you on Web3 blockchain. I would love it. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks so much. My pleasure. We'll connect soon, okay? Absolutely. Thanks, John. Pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Cultivating Success Podcast with Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan and their businesses, visit www.naturesexperts.com.